Welcome to episode 12 of Slow Down to Go Fast. After doing the podcast around things that have been ridiculously successful and gone really well, I thought I would do a podcast around why things have been hard. But when it came down to it, I think the hard has been around personal and professional growth. And certainly between having the idea to do the podcast and the two weeks later when I actually recorded it, um, life intervened and I had a different tact and a different approach to what it was I wanted to say. I recently finished Beth Comstock's Imagine It Forward. I mention it probably a few too many times in this episode, but it is really an exceptional book and has a lot to say. So if you're looking for some reading material, I would highly, highly recommend it. So here I go talking about professional and personal growth. So a couple weeks ago, I got this idea that I could counterpoint the previous podcast, um, which was about being ridiculously busy, but mostly about things that had been ridiculously successful and talk about why things have been hard. Of course, life is life and the journey since I had that idea has has been fairly impactful and <laughs> things have changed a little bit not that things aren't still hard sometimes but that um, there's so much more that I'm interested in talking about now um, finishing up Thanksgiving break and um, I was very tired going into Thanksgiving break so I knew that I needed rest um, and so I, I made it a real priority to make that happen. Did things fairly slowly. Over break, I have read Beth Comstock's Imagine It Forward. It is really a remarkable book, and I would highly, highly recommend um, reading it. It has a lot of good takeaways um, when it comes to feeling alone when you feel like you're the only one trying to shove the rock up the hill. Um, it has a lot of great takeaways regarding trying to be innovative and creative in a space that has been about meeting numbers and bureaucracy and top-down hierarchy and power and how those things get in the way of creativity and innovation. So I'm still going to talk about why things have been hard, but it's going to have a very um, different, uh, very different taste, flavor. I don't think any of those things apply as you're listening to something, but then it would have had I done this a couple weeks ago. Um, I've really been focused on a lot of personal growth over the last, I'd say, five months. Um, it's been something I've been really focused on and trying to work through why it is I do what I do, what motivates me, where am I at in my life and who am I, you know, who am I? Um, 
they're really deep questions and they're things that change for all of us as we move into new parts of our life or we try and figure out where it is that we want our um, our professional careers and our personal lives to go. And it all started over the summer when I was looking for something inspiring. And I was, the other end of it was I was ready. I was ready to make changes. I was ready to take stuff in that previously I probably didn't want to hear or think about or consume. And I was, I ended up watching, I don't know, an hour and a half documentary about SEAL training. And it became very obvious what it was that made Bud's candidates successful in SEAL training. And it was exactly this. And I've since had other confirmations of it. Um, it is getting the noise out of your mind. It is being able to focus, not being infected so heavily by the environment around you, being able to process and get the time period between your frustration and your recovery as short as possible. And as I watched other things and delved into other podcasts and just listening to all these people talk and what they've discovered in their own lives, I started trying to apply some of these things or think about the things that I wanted to apply to my own life. And I just got done um, reading Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And yes, I have read a fantastic ton over the last four months. Um, and no secret, I really connect with what Brene Brown is, is saying in her work and her and what is being reflected out of her research. One of the things Brene Brown talks about in Dare to Lead is refining your values. And there's a whole page of values that she lists and she leaves some spots for you to put some of your own in there. But she says, you know, there's all of these things that you value, but can you get it down to two that drive everything else? If you think about the values that you have and then try and think about what it is that truly drives, what it is that you do, the values that you have, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So one of them I have always had ever since Marine Corps boot camp, one of my values has always been moral courage. And every once in a while, the drill instructor before going to bed would go around the squad bay and you would name one of the, um, one of the 15 leadership traits, um, or one of the pieces from, uh, JJ did tie buckle. It's amazing. You can remember that after 15 years. Um, but you know, name a leadership trait, name, um, name a value that you, that you have. Mine, mine was always moral courage. Um, so I was one of two already um, when I was reading this exercise and thinking about it. And I really started getting, like, what is it that I value? I value creativity. I value people who are innovative. I value musicians and music. And I value the contributions of 
philosophy and thinking about things um, not just for their practical sense or how they'll get you a job, but in this mind-expanding way. And I came down to it that really my second value is curiosity. And so moral courage and curiosity are the, um, are the two values that really drive my life. And, you know, I think once you refine your values, one of the things that that gives you is when you're trying to make decisions, you have these two things. And you can ask yourself, does that decision or one of these, one taking this path or taking that path, is one of them antithetical to the values that I'm trying to live into? And I think it's really important because we've all come across people in our lives who say that they value things and say that they have, you know, values X, Y, and Z. And you look at it and you say, really? It's not just important to have values, but to know what it looks like to live those values out. And you can look at companies that have mission statements and they're beautifully crafted statements. But then you look at the actions and you say, I'm not sure that that company is really living into that mission statement. So I did sit down and think about, you know, what is it, what does it look like to live into moral courage? Is that say something, do something? Is that, um, telling truth to power? Is that being able to stand up for yourself? Is that being able to stand up when the bad misogynistic joke gets said and say, don't do that around me? Um, and curiosity, you know, what is it that I'm doing to feed learning? Am I taking adventures in my life? Am I um, being curious about the world around me? Or am I kind of stuck in the things that I have always been stuck in or always enjoyed and known that I've been good at? So um, that was that was an interesting exercise. And um I also came across another one that's an interesting exercise that I'm still working through. Um, there, I was listening to uh, one of Lewis Howe's episodes on habits, and I forget the author's name, but he wrote the book Atomic Habits. Um, and Lewis Howe asks of uh, this author, what are your five non-negotiable daily habits? And again, I think this has some of the same value that refining your values does. Is It's like, okay, you want to exercise more. If that's what you want to do, then that should be a non-negotiable habit. Um, so the three that I've got down right now um, are sleep, exercise, and learning. Or as Tom Bilyeu would call it, jacking into the matrix. Um, there's lots of ways to go about learning. I love to read. Um, I've been spending time with podcasts. Um, in particular, Lewis Howes and Chase Jarvis have got really good content on YouTube. So you, you may be interested in, in checking that out as well. Um, but that's what I've been thinking about personal growth-wise. Um, I've been reading a ton and taking it in and just thinking about what it is that I want to accomplish and what the next steps in, in both my personal and professional lives are going to be. 
Um, and one of the things that, and personal growth is hard. Like when you go through personal growth, or at least when I go through personal growth, you have to disrupt yourself. And in some ways, our bodies and our lives are much easier if we just sit and do our thing. Um, but that's not that's not really um, that's not really what's best for us. And again, if um, learning is one of these non-negotiable habits, and curiosity is one of the values that I'm trying to live live into. Um, personal growth, professional growth, those are things that that I need to be doing to live into the into the value that I have. Um, professional growth has been wild, um, and it is it has been entirely centered around the courses that I'm teaching this year. Um, I've mentioned before teaching the multivariable calculus course, um, and that in itself has been interesting. And it is certainly interesting revisiting that material, um, being able to refine it. It is, I've mentioned before that it is such an odd course to teach in some ways because you're getting this opportunity to say things about linear algebra and um, analysis and several variables, geometry, um, and you're trying to dance around things like topology and differential geometry and things that are kind of down the road. Um, and so it's this toolbox course that is potentially a gateway course into a whole slew of things. And so it, it makes it interesting. It makes it um, interesting to teach in the you know, I have my own biases towards differential geometry, towards more theoretical aspects of mathematics. And I know that my bias isn't necessarily what's needed in the classroom or what's um, what students are interested in. So it is, there's been some struggle around that and trying to figure out what is the best thing to present and what are the, what are the best topics to cover because, um, you can't cover everything and do any of it well. So I have, the struggle with that course has really been how to teach the course and give students a really quality experience. One of the things that I did is we had some interesting, had some extra time um, before the final was we read a, a paper that um, kind of an expository paper that had been written around Morse theory. So Morse theory is all about critical point theory. So one of the things that you learn in single variable calculus is maximization and minimization problems. So you have some function that describes something that you're trying to maximize. Perhaps you're trying to maximize profit or you're trying to minimize um, minimize loss or minimize expense. And so if you have these functions that describe these things, how can you go find the maximum and how can you go find the minimum? Life, of course, becomes um, both a little more interesting perhaps, um, but certainly more complicated as you try and do these problems in several variables. And um, 
And so Morse theory has a lot to do with critical point theory and what is it that you're seeing when you look at the various critical points. And so I gave them this paper and one of the things that happens when you've done graduate level math is that you get used to reading certain kinds of things. You've already been introduced to all the basic ideas. And so as I was reading through the paper, I was sitting there thinking to myself, this is fairly readable. Giving it to a set of high school seniors, the response was, this was really dense. Um, and so that was a good reminder. Um, but we worked through the paper over a couple of days and and got out of it the good we could get out of it. Um, and that was a good experience um, for a lot of students for a couple of reasons. So one, I got to share something that I'm really interested in and something that is um, really a topic that I, I love um, I love thinking about. And they got to dig into something pretty different. And oftentimes when you're in the research business, whether that's formally research in the academy or you're doing research um, for a corporation, you're reading stuff you don't understand. You're trying to get yourself spun up to the point that you can work effectively um, on a particular problem. And that takes a certain amount of background. And so they got the opportunity to figure out how to read this paper that for them was very dense, how to get the vocabulary out of it, how to figure out what the basic ideas were, how to answer questions and ask questions around something that was difficult. And... Um, and I, I thought that there were some really good questions that they asked out of that. Um, so prep for the discussion of the paper was to write down three questions um, that they had about the paper. And I thought that some really good questions came out of that. Um, so as we, as we head off into our um, chapter on integration and doing double and triple integrals, um, I'm trying to think through things that can give them a really quality experience. And there's a couple of things that were done in analytic number theory that I'm seriously considering giving to somebody for presentations. Um, and, you know, just trying to think about other things that, that might be interesting to them. Um, so I don't know. I'm... I'm still thinking about what presentation topics should be for the winter term, but it's been it's been a really interesting course to teach, both from a mathematical point of view, but also from the point of view of how to give students quality experience. Mathematicians don't sit around, you know, doing problems out of a book. Like you do that to develop the tools to some extent, um, but. What is, how can you give a more meaningful mathematical experience to students in the course? Um, and certainly there's going to be exercises to do. That's the way you think through things. That's how you get your hands on, um, on basic properties and ideas. But, you know, reading some papers, thinking about an application to physics, um, and some of these other things, I think, really bring a more quality experience 
Um, I've talked about developing new skills, and it's something that I've been doing throughout the school year. Um, we have been, I think I've mentioned before that my object-oriented design course that we've been doing discussion on Fridays over various um, readings. And let's see, so the last one we did before break was some war stories out of a book called the Algorithm Design Manual. Um, and he has various war stories in there as a part of the book. Um, and I if so for that, I had them answer three questions and then I had them write a minimum 500 word war story of their own um, in which I was just, you know, I wanted them to engage in creativity and think about, you know, if you're a contractor, what is going to be hard about stepping into a situation and have them um, have them come up with something that you know could be a possible war story that one would one would run into um, and they you know they thought about things from their own lives they thought about one of them based it off of a game that we'd made last year one of them um, based it off the fact that they were sitting on the street watching a train go by um, and thinking about the amount of gas that they were burning in their car waiting for the strain to go through. Um, another one um, wrote it around their um, desire to get off of um, Google and go to DuckDuckGo. Um, and then there was another one that wrote it about taking a job for the prestige and the money and that you know, not seemingly that the reason that they took the job didn't end up being the good part of the job. Um, so I, I really like both engaging the whole kind of curriculum, if you will, or intermingling these, these pieces of the traditional curriculum in one course, but, um, it, it forces me to develop new skills. Um, it forces me to um, figure out how to run discussion, how to uh, get them prepped for discussion in a way that we're not doing the same prep every single time so that we're kind of accessing different pieces um, of our brain um, and not just doing the same thing every single time. So one of the things that, um, so I was listening to Chase Jarvis uh, interview Beth Comstock um, about her book, Imagine It Forward. And one of the things they were talking about was professional fluidity. And we now have more professional fluidity than we ever have. And a part of it is access to inter information. Um, it used to be that you, if you were working kind of interdisciplinary, that you hyphenated yourself. So Brene Brown talks about how the first time somebody described her as research storyteller, that that was an odd moment for her. And she said, can I be both those things at the same time? And she's fully embraced that. And that's what she introduces herself as. Um, I have a friend of mine who um, introduces himself as a technology fear therapist and a digital creator. Um, we have people who, you know, 
write books and engage in other activities. I don't know. My mind isn't, isn't coming up with these hyphenated things. And I think as we have access to all this information that we didn't used to have access to, we have access to people. We can sit and listen to podcasts. We can sit and listen to people talk about the things that they've learned in their lives and learn from the mistakes that they've made. And um, we can learn new skills faster than we've ever been able to do before. And so I think, you know, we live in this time where professional fluidity is only going to become more and more fluid. And we're going to be able to make more and more choices around professional career and ask what's next. And we're going to continue to reimagine ourselves, not because that our past is bad or that we've done something that we're not proud of per se, but we did this part of our career. It was a part of our lives. It was something interesting. We enjoyed it. And now it's time to take the next leap. And, you know, what's the next leap that helps me develop the next set of skills? What is the next leap that helps me live into the values that I have? Um, what is the next leap that helps me be thoroughly engaged in the work that I'm doing? And so that's that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And the question, well, <laughs> what is what is next? What is what is the next learning curve that I want to be on? Which is um, a little bit of a, a funny story. This started in something right. This whole profession, personal growth process started over the summer, and um, well, in earnest, it, you could track it back a long ways. But we'll start with the summer, um, and so. I did CTY, I was doing this professional growth and really thinking about some things that I wanted to get done and changes that I wanted to make to my life. And um, I said, you know, I've done a lot of professional growth. Um, I've done a lot of personal growth over the summer. I'm gonna read through the month of August and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off and do something academic. And that never happened. I've um, I've been reading things that are more aimed personal, personal, professional growth um, than than anything academic. Um, though I did get through one topology book. There's a topology book by Klaus Yannick that I started reading as an undergraduate, but never really had the time to finish it. It's such a strange book that it's difficult to read when you're taking a taking a formal course. But um, I was glad to get through it, and it's a it's a really nicely done book. But anyway. Um, you know, we can define ourselves as, as hyphens. So who are you? I'm a math teacher. I'm a computer science teacher. Um, I'm an educator. I'm a podcaster, you know, who are we? How do we, how do we define ourselves and what is it that we want to be known to be? I don't know. I'm, I'm off in the exploratory right now. Um, I sat down in, uh, one of the other things I did this summer was I sat down and rewrote a teaching statement. And I was really trying to do something that was a little different. Um, I was trying to 
really dig around in my core and get into that teaching statement, the things that I really value about education, um, about teaching, about the process. And the three words that I came up with were explore, discover, and be. Um, dare to explore, witness discovery, and be present. I think the other thing that I would, I would add to that um, would be the title of Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. Um, so I think as I kind of go through the, the, next, uh, the next set of podcasts that I'm probably going to talk about, about explore, discover, be, lead. Um, those are kind of, kind of going to be some of the topics that come, come up and come forward. Though, who knows, as I sit down to, to record the next pod, podcast, I may very well um, have had, you know, more growth journey and won't even reflect what I've got in mind right now. Um, you know, things that I would think about if you're on your own personal growth journey is, you know, who around you do you have that can help you with the discernment process and support you through that growth process. Um, I think it's important for us to understand and realize that disruption's hard, growth is hard, and when we're able to have people willing and just willing to support us and willing to go on that journey with us, that that's really important. Um, there's a couple of things from uh, Beth Comstock's book, Imagine a Forward, that I want to mention as well. She talks about learning to get out of her own way. And I think that's really important. Um... I'm trying to figure out how to how to how to phrase this this piece that I've got in my mind. We have skills. And I think sometimes that we in an attempt at humility or an attempt at not drawing attention to ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge the skills that we have. Um but I think it's ex I think it's important to acknowledge the skills that we have. I think it's important to acknowledge the skills that we're still learning so that when we think about where we are on the learning curve that we're on, that we can accurately assess and know where we are on the learning curve, but what things that need improvement and what things we need to do um, to gain the set of skills that we need to get to where we want to be. And so I think one, um, one thing about getting out of your own way is acknowledging the skills that you have. I think another thing about getting out of your own way is finding some courage. And perhaps it's social courage and being a little more interactive with the people you're in the room with. Um, perhaps it's 
creative courage and engaging in something that is going to be really hard for a while. Um, so she talks about with this uh, in this interview with Chase that she took an art class and <laughs> she talked about how it was really um, quote I believe the word she used was pathetic and that it looked like a five-year-old had drawn it and you know when we have when we engage skills or we engage things that we have not tried to do in a long while or we have not developed or skills that we simply have not developed um, The expectation, somehow, <laughs> is that through a little bit of work, we'll be able to get the picture that we want drawn, or that we'll be able to get the music that we want to play, or whatever it is. But we have to remind ourselves that when we're developing skills, when we're on the bottom end of the growth curve, it's not going to feel good. It's just not. When you're on that initial part of the growth curve, especially if you're trying to put yourself on an exponential growth curve, being on that bottom end of the growth curve, it doesn't feel good, and it's not going to, and there's no way to make it feel good because you are literally trying to rewire your brain to do things that you either haven't done in a long time or that you haven't done at all. And so, you know, continuing to think about ways to get out of our own way, um, ways to engage new concepts, new skills, new ideas, and bring it all in. Kind of dabble and fumble and wallow our way into the life that we want. One of the great phrases and this was another, I forget who said this, but I ran across this quote that said, create a life for yourself you don't have to take a vacation from. And that really struck me. What does that look like? What kind of life would I have where I wasn't constantly trying to get around to the weekend or... I wasn't just constantly trying to get back to summer break so I could be off. Not sure I'm really ready to share those things, but definitely something I have, um, I've been thinking very deeply about. One of the other things she talks about in Imagine It Forward is the imagination gap. Business became, you know, this completely process-oriented thing where quote-unquote shareholder value was the thing that mattered and markets were unforgiving and so we had to make our numbers and if we didn't, we were going to get slaughtered on Wall Street. People were referred to as cogs in the machine. There's a process of... Um, you know, how to do things called Six Sigma, 
um, that became very popular. Um, 360 degree performance reviews and all these kinds of things. And in some sense, what it really did was it shoved the ideas of innovation and imagination out of corporate America. And we've certainly seen some very innovative things over the past few years. Um, and, and things continue to change. So, you know, smartphones probably being one of the best examples that have been developed in the last 15 years that have really changed the way people go about doing their day. So it's not that innovation isn't happening or that it, it you know, that business isn't innovating. But the question is, is how do you keep that entrepreneurial startup kind of mindset in the business? As things grows, the way it feels gr grows, the way it feels changes. It's inevitable. So how do you stay centered or how do you stay focused on the values that the company is founded around as you grow from 500 employees to 1,000 employees to being this multi-billion dollar um, corporation. And that's kind of one of the things that Beth talks about is, you know, rewriting your story, re-engaging the story, understanding what the focus is. And as I think about education, a large part of what is in place stays in place because of bureaucracy and because test scores are numbers that can be definitively put in front of you. The other things that one would try to evaluate, perhaps, are much more difficult. How do you evaluate someone's ability to collaborate? Obviously, there are moments that are very clear where collaboration failed. But reality is that collaboration and being able to do that skill is something that develops over time. Engaging in project-based learning, engaging in things that are amorphous um, in the way that they develop, engaging in classes where your sole goal is to go wherever the material leads you. One, whoever's teaching a course like that is a initially going to be on the bottom end of the growth curve. That's not going to feel good. The other is that you are guaranteed as an instructor of that kind of course to deal with ambiguity, uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Those things are things that have to be processed and can be very uncomfortable. Especially um, 
you know, you start assigning homework and you're getting crammed up. And so you assign a problem that you think shouldn't actually be that hard. And then as your students start trying to do it, they get lost in it. And then you're left with, huh, I wonder how you do actually do this. Um, it happens. You put a put a problem on a test that you think to yourself, that shouldn't be that hard, and then you're sitting there doing it, and you're like, that's actually kind of difficult. Um, it's all a part of the process. It's all a part of the learning process, and um, something that I've always kind of believed in but I've done more and more as I've gained more experience as an educator is flattening out the kind of the classroom hierarchy and, you know, being, being a part of it and learning with students. Um, a lot of what I bring to the table is experience and, um, we, we learn from each other. It is inevitable that the more, minds that you get in the room and if you can hit some kind of workflow together um, it's really really an amazing thing to be a part of and to experience something else I've been thinking about is not just around professional development but around feedback structures we all need feedback and as much as it is tempting, perhaps, to be the gray man that fades into the wall that nobody notices, and you sit in your classroom and you get your kids and um, don't, call it, don't cause any waves and people leave you alone, we grow because we get feedback. Um, it, is, it is one of the things that we can be, that we can use to, you know, disrupt ourselves a little bit and say, huh, I hadn't thought about that. Or, yeah, I didn't want to admit to it, but that's something I really kind of need to work on. Traditionally, if educators have ever had um, performance evaluations, and again, we're walking off into a loaded subject, that it has always come once a year at a specific time, and it has had this gross formality that happens around it. So a question I've been thinking about is, what's the better way? Timely, actionable feedback on what you're doing is the way that you can get growth to happen. Waiting an entire year to get feedback on something that happened nine months ago, that's not going to be effective. We all have a limited amount of time. So who's giving the feedback? Who's stepping into the classroom and for how long? Is there some kind of, you know, rubric or agreed upon skill set or what's being evaluated and how's, how's it being evaluated? But I think that 
no matter what the future of evaluation looks like, that we really need to get off of this once a year, at the end of the year, we're going to sit down and evaluate how your year went, what you did, um, based off of these two 10-minute observations. There's a number of a number of, of people that are, are thinking about those questions as well, and um, be interesting to see where where that where that goes and what does or doesn't come of it. So I think that's about it for tonight. Um, or you will probably be listening to this whenever you're listening to it, but. Um, I hope you've had a good um, Thanksgiving, and I hope that you've been able to find some time to spend with your family and friends, and that you've had some time to rest and restore yourself and find some new energy and find some new focus. So until next time.